Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you will hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. I love your pastor so much. I wanna with you on the count of three, let out a deep collective sigh. Ready, one, two, three. I'd be disappointed too. Um, if I got here and it wasn't Pastor Robert, although I actually think it's healthy for y'all every now and then to have somebody that's not quite as gifted because it reminds you of the blessing that you have um, in Pastor Robert, Pastor Taylor. I love them, deeply, deeply respect them and uh, deeply respect Pastor Senior and Pastor Honey um, who are in the house this morning. It's an undeserved privilege to be with y'all. I do wanna start with an apology. Um, For those of you who are here first service, a crew that was here first service, I I feel like I brought a lie first service because someone very close to me died yesterday, member of my extended family. And it was an early death, he's only 53, uh, left behind two kids, a wife, a grandchild. And I just felt gutted Uh, last night flying here from Nashville. I felt gutted this morning and I put on a happy face and tried to preach in first service. And I modeled what I don't believe. What I modeled was you have to put a lid on emotions that aren't good emotions in church. And I don't believe that. I think that's just uh, theological hooey. God doesn't tell us to bring our happy, perky emotions. He says, bring all of you to all of me and I'm enough. And so I just wanted to apologize that I was, um, I was a bit of a poser this morning and I don't feel like Holy Spirit was real thick this morning because I was um, pretending. And so I got a spanking between services. Um, the great thing about our God, our creator, redeemer, is anytime you get discipline, he hugs you. And I thought, I love Taylor and I love Robert so much. I think of them as family. And so I know I haven't earned the right to be your auntie, but I'm just gonna assume that role. Um, and um, we're gonna be honest. We're gonna have fun. We're gonna dive into God's word, but we're gonna be honest for the next few moments we have together as a family of faith. And in light of that, um, and again, I know I haven't earned the right to ask y'all questions, so I'm just presuming here, um, but I know most of y'all really love each other. And the few of you who are guests here this morning, maybe you thought Gillies was doing like some special thing and you thought, who's the fluffy white chick? Is she gonna sing? I'm not, you would be scarred for life if I did. Um, I hope you'll stay. I hope you'll stay even if you thought you're coming to Gillies instead of the house of God, uh, because I really believe God has um, not just a word for us. I believe we're gonna experience God's presence in a really palpable way this morning. Um, but here's the question. If you came here this morning and you feel like your, your legs are barely strong enough to carry the weight of your heart, your heart's broken right now for whatever reason, would you just slip up your hand? Slip up your hand if you walked in with a broken heart for any reason, a heart that's weary. Um, those of y'all beautiful, godly, brave saints, keep your hands raised so those brothers and sisters around you can see you 
Those of you who are sitting around one of these saints with their hands raised, would you lay hands on them right now? That's not a social Dallas thing. That's not a denominational thing. That's a biblical thing. It's just a way of saying, I'm doing my best right now to pick up a corner of your mat and carry you to the roof to lower you to Jesus. And would you pray for our friends, our brothers and our sisters who are brokenhearted for whatever reason, we don't need to know. The Bible says Holy Spirit actually interprets on our behalf and we don't have the right words to bring before God. So would you just pray peace and presence? Psalm 34 says, when our hearts are broken, God is close to us, he's close to the brokenhearted. He says, when you feel crushed, his presence is right there. So would you just pray in this moment, we don't have to know the particulars, just pray that God would open the eyes of their heart, he would take any scales, of pretense off, and they would begin to see in the supernatural the presence of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God, that in this moment, they wouldn't feel like they have to have a stiff upper lip or pretend like everything's all together. They would actually have the grace and the integrity to say, I'm not okay this morning. I really need to be held by Jesus. I'm I'm just not okay this morning. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you that by your stripes, we can be healed. Lord, I don't understand why sometimes you heal physically and sometimes you don't, but I do believe you're good. I do believe you're sovereign. I do believe you're enough. Lord Jesus, we're coming together as family this morning, all of us in some way confessing that we need more of you, Jesus. You are our hope, our living hope. You are our very breath, Numa, Holy Spirit. You are our breath. God, we pray that in your mercy that you would set our minds and our hearts on you that we would remember your mercy, that we would remember as your children, we have the right to call you dad. Father, I pray that you would forgive me for posing this morning. I pray that uh, you would through your spirit and your word, that you would make uh, the glorious good news of your gospel clear this morning, that we would all sense your presence this morning. Thank you that you do not remove yourself from us. You're not a faraway God. You're an up close, personal savior, redeemer. Jesus, give us the grace to linger in your embrace, not to just sit there for a second, but give us the grace this morning to actually linger, to linger in your presence. We ask this by your perfect name, King Jesus. And by the authority of the blood, you already shed on our behalf on Calvary. Amen and amen. Um, I saw a, a beautiful man up here during worship. I'm 58, so I can say things like that about men under 30, and it's just safe. Um, I've got no hormones left anyway, but... Um, <laughs> young man up here with his hands raised during worship and he has a t-shirt that says Pablo all across the back and I got tickled when I saw his shirt where are you brother with that's is that your wife are you dating you might want to get on it brother she's pretty anyway um I didn't know is it about a movie or something the life of Pablo what's your shirt it's a what? Oh, it's Kanye? 
Oh, that's so much cooler than I thought it even was initially. What's your name? Uh, I'm T. T, I'm Lisa. Nice to meet you, sir. Um, I, I was watching T with Pablo all across his back and it just immediately took me back to when I first brought my daughter home from Haiti. I became a mom through the miracle of adoption. I brought my little girl home from Haiti the year I turned 50. And um, her, her first mama, uh, Marie, who I cannot wait to meet in heaven, uh, her first mama, Marie, died of AIDS when Missy was a baby, undiagnosed, she didn't even have the luxury of a test. And in Haiti, there's a large voodoo culture. And so they hid her mama because they think it's a curse. And so Missy uh, never got to know her biological mama. And uh, by the grace of God, I got written in her story uh, because there was no other family members to take her after Marie passed away. And it was a two year process. And um, I got to be her second mama. Missy started from the first time I met her in Haiti, started calling me Mama Blanc, which means white mama. And, and you know, she, I fell in love with her the second I met her. I can still remember when they put her in my arms and I thought, stick a fork in me, I'm done. She was itty bitty, she was two years old, but only 17 and a half pounds. She was so malnourished, really sick and much sicker than they had told me. But as soon as I saw her, it was just like the trajectory of my life just was oriented to this child. She looked up at me and was like, I'd like to stick a fork in you. Cause you know, I'm just this big pale woman she's never met. And she glared at me probably the first 60 seconds. And then she reached up her little fist and grabbed my pinky finger and said she had tuberculosis. So she could barely talk. And she said, hello, mama blanc. Hello, white mama. And um, from then on, she called me mama blanc. So it took two years, the adoption process. And then I brought her home to Nashville in April of 2014. And I mean, no sooner had we stepped off the plane that she turned to me and called me Pablo. And I thought, Pablo? Like, why in the world is she calling me Pablo? And I'd go, no, no, Marele. She didn't speak much English. She spoke mostly Creole. And I said, Marele, Mama Blanc. My name is Mama. No, 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 Marele, Mama Blanc. And she go, no, Pablo. And I was like, why in the world is she calling me Pablo? So I tried to bribe her. I did all kinds of things. I go, mom, really? Mama, blah. Nope, Pablo. First two weeks, she just refused to call me anything but Pablo, which is what I thought of, T, when you're up here. And, uh, and I couldn't figure it out. I thought this is gonna be so awkward when she gets married. Who gives this woman Pablo? Um, and I, I like the name Pablo. It's just, I'm a girl and I have no Hispanic background. I just thought it's gonna be awkward. Um, and so I finally, a friend of mine does a lot of work, medical missions, he's a physician in Haiti. And I said, do you have any idea why she would have switched and started calling me Pablo when we got to the States? He was like, no, that's so weird. And he thought about, he said, Lisa, I figured it out. I called some people uh, where she was, the orphanage she was at in Haiti. And right before you brought her home to the States, they did a program with the kids. There's hardly any Sunday school material in Creole. They don't make enough money, so publishers won't send it there. So they'll use Sunday school material from Spanish publishers and from French publishers, because Creole is kind of a derivative of French. And he said, right before Missy came to America, they did a program on the missionary adventures of Pablo, Paul, it was Hispanic, little Sunday school curriculum. And she asked one of the nannies, what does my new Mama Blanc 
do for a job? Does she grow mangoes? Does she pick cabbages? Does she clean houses? And in an effort to explain to Missy as this little four-year-old what her new pale mama did for a job, they said, well, she's kind of like Paul. She's, she's like a missionary. She goes around and talks to people about Jesus. And Missy got confused in her beautiful four-year-old brain and thought I was Apostle Paul. And I got so tickled when we figured it out because I thought I could just see Paul in glory going, no, no, can we not find somebody better? She, she pretty quickly went back to Mama Blanc because I think even then she figured out my mama is a little wild for scripture. She probably doesn't need an apostle name. But I was thinking of that because the Lord had already spanked me and told me we need to get real in the second service. And then I saw T with that shirt. And I thought, you know, I think some of us don't really know the name of God. Um, I think some of us sing lyrics about God and we come every Sunday dutifully and, and we feel good about ourselves when we leave and we love the way Pastor Robert and Pastor Senior and Pastor Honey and, and Taylor communicate about God. But I think some of us don't, don't know his first name because we haven't spent quite enough time alone in his presence. We, we know lots of stories from social media, but some of us don't actually know our story, our adoption story. So if you brought your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12. I hope, I believe this is where God wants us this morning after I posed first service. Lord Jesus, thank you that you use donkeys and rocks. Thank you that in our weakness, you are strong. Thank you that nothing in our lives is hidden from you. Thank you that you are a good God. You are a kind God. You are a present God. Genesis chapter 12, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, three major world religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, go back to that story. And all three religions claim Abram, whose name eventually became Abraham, as the father, as the hub of the wheel of their belief system. Um, why did God choose Abraham to be our great, 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 and then some grandfather? Because he was a good guy. Y'all can talk back, I'm not your pastor. I heard there's a bunch of y'all talk back anyway. Um, did he choose Abram because Abram was a good guy? No, no, thank you. He chose Abram because our God is compassionate and he gives us what we don't deserve. What we do deserve, he doesn't give us because that would be shazam. We'd be all fried into grease spots of oblivion. He chooses this guy because of his sovereign kindness. He says, Abram, I'm gonna set my favor on you. And theologians will tell you this is the most comprehensive blessing in scripture because it's a 360 degree blessing. He says, Abram, not only am I gonna bless you, I'm gonna curse those who don't bless you. I mean, that's huge. Somebody disses you on Twitter. Somebody doesn't let you merge out here on your horrible Dallas highways. And God's gonna give them hives. 
I mean, it's a big deal. It's I'm gonna bless you, but not only that, I'm gonna make sure you live in a community of blessing because anybody who does not bless you, I'm gonna curse them. This is huge. And he says, Abram, there's only one caveat. You haven't earned it. I'm doing this because through you, I'm gonna create a people group called the Israelites who are gonna be a theocracy, which is a $50 seminary word that means a people group that God set his favor on to serve as a symbol for the rest of time so the rest of us can look at that group and go, oh, actually we're allowed to have a real relationship with the creator of the universe. This is not about religion. It's not a far away relationship. It is a family covenantal relationship. He said, I'm gonna use Israel, not because they're especially wonderful. They're just like y'all, prone to wander. I'm gonna choose Israel's, my theocracy, so the rest of, of mankind can go, oh, I can be up close and personal with Father God. So he says, Abram, I'm gonna create this theocracy through you. I'm gonna bless you. The only condition, it's not based on your behavior. It's not based on your bio. It's based on your ability to trust me when you can't see around the corner. You're gonna have to move. You're gonna have to move from where you live and where you're comfortable and where everybody knows you. Sarah's got an essential oils business. Y'all got it going on in this little town. You're gonna have to move. And I'm not giving you the GPS coordinates. You're gonna have to move someplace. I'm not even telling you where yet. Could be Cabo, could be Arkansas. I'm not telling you yet. You won't even know what to pack. You just have to trust me enough to say, yes, sir, I'll move. That's it. I was with some just beautiful young women recently in their 20s. And one of them said, Miss Lisa, I just feel like I've done everything to honor God for the last year. She said, you know, last year I just told the Lord I was all in. I've been tithing. I've been in church all the time. I've gotten in a small group. I mean, I'm all in and I just feel like I haven't received the blessing. And I said, well, tell me why you feel that way. And she said, well, you know, every morning I get up to spend time in the Word and I was just telling my boyfriend the other morning we were having coffee after I spent my time in the Word. I was telling him I just don't feel God's presence. And I said, hang on just a second, baby, back up just a second. And she said, yes, ma'am. And I said, You're, you, you don't mean to sound all old and nerdy, but you said you were having coffee with your boyfriend after time alone with the Lord. And she said, uh-huh. And I said, so you mean you live with your boyfriend? She goes, uh-huh. And I said, well, that, I'm just spitballing here, but my guess would be, since you're living with your boyfriend and getting jiggy with it and he hadn't put a ring on it, that one's real clear. And I said, I'm not trying to mess with your business and be judgmental, but that, that's just clear. That's clear that God says, no, you don't do that outside the context of marriage. So you might need to move from that before God will bless you. He's a, he's a compassionate God. He is transcendent and holy. And he condescends to be in relationship with us. And the only caveat for us is sometimes you have to move. If you're in a place of rebellion and you want blessing, you have to move. It's not based on undeservedness. It's based on grace, unmerited favor. But in response to that favor, you go, I'm gonna move closer to the Lord. So God says to Abram, I'm gonna bless you. It's gonna be a 360 degree blessing, but you've gotta move. And he says, yes, sir. And he says, says, Sarah, come on, baby, we've gotta move. Now, this is my imagination. This is not holy writ. Let me make that real clear. But because there's some hesitancy, my guess is she finally got her kitchen remodeled. She finally got courts. 
Starbucks, finally got stainless steel, got a wolf range, and she is ticked because she does not want to leave her new kitchen and go to some other place. And she drags her feet. He says, baby, I promise, I promise. It's going to be amazing. God told me he's going to give us this 360 degree blessing. So they move, right? Pastor Senior, they move from the place they're comfortable to a new place. And God blesses them immediately, right? No, he doesn't bless them immediately. Remember, he says, you're gonna have a ton of children. You're both old as dirt. You're both wearing Depends, but you're gonna have to go to Costco and get a bunch of Pampers. Remember, y'all remember this in the Bible close to it? I'm gonna give you a ton of children in your advanced age. They get to this new place. They follow the Lord. They move. Doesn't happen. The blessing doesn't happen because God doesn't work on our eye cows. Blessing doesn't happen right away. When he says, move, you move. And then you don't say, okay, now it's your turn. That's not the way it works. He's God, we're not. He moves, doesn't get the blessing right away. And then they start to wonder because that's what we do as humans. When I can't see around the corner in the natural, I start doubting the supernatural. Genesis 15, head to the right a page or two. Genesis 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Abram's already moved but he hasn't seen the blessing. Five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Big fat sissy baby. He says, I trusted you and you have not, you have not showed up. I told my friends, I told my wife that we were gonna have a mess of kids that she got to get a minivan and we're still struggling with infertility. You have not fulfilled your end of the garden. I said garden, I meant, that's it. I knew it rhymed, I couldn't quite grab it. I need more caffeine. Have you ever been there with the Lord? I mean, most of us aren't honest about it, especially in Christian circles. But where you think, okay, I gave this. I gave what I feel like you demanded. And I'm, I'm kind of expecting something over here. I'm 58. I am single. I have lost my metabolism. I am telling you, there are seasons that I will go, dadgummit, God. I mean, I've been kind of faithful, kind of, mostly, you know. I've been doing the best I can to be holy. I've been doing the best I can to be set apart. I mean, if you're not gonna give me a man, he doesn't have to have hair or money, but just a man. If you're not gonna give me a man, a good man, then doggone it, my hair should not be chemically dependent and I should be able to wear leather pants. You know, I have my, you know, I mean, I'm just human. And I can sing all the worship songs, but sometimes I think he has not fulfilled what I thought he was gonna do. That's exactly where Abram is, exactly where Abram is. I thought, you know what? Maybe you're just being figurative. Maybe you didn't mean that literally. Maybe you just meant somehow in my sphere of influence, children would be born. Maybe that's what you meant. That's where we get in trouble. If God says something and it's clear through the spirit, don't back up later and try to reinterpret it. You know what he said. If he said it through his word and through his spirit and it's been confirmed, don't go back when you're disappointed and try to perform an autopsy on what he's already said. 
It's not dead, it's alive. It's just his timetable is different than ours. So the Lord appears, this is unbelievable y'all because Abram's being kind of a baby and then the Lord visits him and it says the word of the Lord, doesn't say a word of an angel, doesn't say an emissary, doesn't say a prophet. It says the word of the Lord. Have you ever wondered what God's voice sounds like? I think it sounds like the guy on the Allstate commercial. I think it's this deep voice. The word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. I didn't stutter, boy. Is man will not be your heir, Abram. Your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then God said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. Verse six, and Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Verse six is the reason that Abram is listed in Hebrews 11 as a faithful man. Because in verse six, he believed God. Well, of course he did, he heard the voice of God. God himself brought him outside, showed him the scars. I'd believe God too if I was in Kroger and he started talking to me when I was in produce, I'd believe him too. God takes me by the hand, leads me outside. He's faithful y'all for how long? No, he's not. Now, well, God is. Abram isn't. Two verses later, he asked the same question. Two verses later, he says, how will I know? How will I know? I can't see. I can't see the promise. All I see is my infertility. All I see is barrenness. I don't see the fruit. You'd think God would chastise him, but he doesn't. You read the rest of Genesis 15, God says, Abram, I want you to go get a bunch of animals. I'm taking the tiniest bit of liberty with this. It's kind of like the Old Testament message slash Nashville version. He says, go, go get a bunch of animals. I want you to bring the animals together. I want you to cut the animals in half. And I want you to dig a narrow trench between the animals. Um, I've asked Pastor Honey to come up here because I want to act this out for y'all because I think y'all will get it. Genesis 15 is where we see the blood covenant modeled. Now remember, this is a pre-literate culture. So they don't have written contracts. So when you made a binding agreement, if I'm making a binding agreement with Pastor Honey, she and I would model that agreement. We would act it out almost like holy charades because we didn't have written contracts. Well, when God tells Abram, I want you to go get a bunch of animals. I want you to cut them in half. I want you to go to Home Depot, get a rototiller, dig a little trench, and then I want you to let the blood of those cut apart animals go into the trench. What's interesting is if you read through Genesis 15, Abram doesn't balk. Now, if it was us, 21st century would be like, that is nasty. You know, Peta's gonna be here and they're gonna have a big protest. They're gonna throw paint on me. This is awful. I can't do this. It's terrible. I'm a friend of animals. I'm vegan. I pretend tofu tastes as good as brisket. That we just start having a cow. But Abram does not balk. Why doesn't he balk when God tells him to do this? He's done it before. That's a common covenant during the time of Abram. The blood covenant is the most binding covenant. Abram's done this before. The blood covenant is what you do when you had two clans and they were having a marriage. So let's just say, I'm so sorry, Pastor Honey, I can't remember your maiden name. Tudman, T-U-D-M-A-N, Tudman. Do you have an older brother or younger brother? I have an older brother. Older brother? A younger brother that passed away. But I do have older brother still alive? 
Is he married? Yes. Happily? Yes. Teasing, honey, teasing, teasing. What's his name? What's his name, Pastor Annie? James. Okay, so let's just say that, that James Tudman and I fall in love. Well, if we lived during the time of Abraham, and Mrs. James Tudman, no, no, I'm just pretending here, so please don't take any offense. No disrespect, because I know y'all married happily. But let's just say it's before she came along, Mr. James is younger, Mr. James and I fall in love. Well, what we would do if we lived in this preliterate time during the culture of Abram, I'm gonna pretend like Pastor Honey is her daddy. So she's Mr. Tudman. My daddy, Mr. Harper, they'd come together. Mr. Tudman would, would bring animals from his flock. My daddy would bring animals from his flock. They'd cut those animals in half. And then my daddy, Mr. Harper, and Pastor Honey's daddy, Mr. Hudman, Tudman, would take off their sandals and they would walk through the blood. It's called a blood covenant. Pastor Honey, ooh, you, your daddy's tight. That was good. So when Mr. Tudman and Mr. Harper had both walked through the blood covenant, what they would say to each other is, if the covenant between Lisa and James is severed, may what was done to these animals be done to us. You didn't hear divorce that often in this era, and I'm not playing, please hear me. I'm the product of divorce. Divorce has eviscerated our family. Uh, Malachi says God hates divorce. It does not say God hates divorced people. It says God hates divorce because of what it does to his people. It, it shreds his people. So please hear me. I bet 52% of y'all, based on national standards, have, have somehow been affected by divorce, either you yourself, your parents, uh, one of your children. And so I am so sorry. I know way too well the wounds of divorce. God set it up in the beginning so the whole community would wrap around a marriage. He set it up where when some young little girl came home from Gatlinburg and said, I'm gonna leave James because he leaves the seat up. My daddy would say, you better get your little tail right back to your husband, young lady. You're being a baby. You're being entitled. You go back to your husband. He's a good man. The whole family wrapped around it. And so Abram knows what a blood covenant is. It's a binding agreement between two families, usually between the patriarchs of two families. He knows exactly what they're doing. That's why he doesn't balk. Thank you, Pastor Honey. I knew she'd make it better. So much better. Abram doesn't balk. He's like, I know exactly what we're doing. He gets the animals. And so then the animals, the blood of the animals goes in the trench. And Abram's like, oh, I know what we're doing. And then something happens that's real left to center. Then it says Abram falls into a deep sleep. And the word there in the Hebrew actually does not mean he's unconscious. Most theologians think that Abram is actually held down by the Holy Spirit. And it's not Abram who walks through the blood covenant. It's a smoking fire torch in a flaming pot. Those are, the fancy word for it is a theophany. A theophany means a physical manifestation of God himself. Remember when the Israelites said, we wanna see God, we wanna see God. And remember Moses said, God, they wanna see you. And God said, okay, I'm gonna come down, but you gotta get them to stand back from the base of Mount Sinai because all of my dwelling glory is gonna be in this cloud. Remember they called it Shekinah. They wouldn't even say that out loud, Shekinah. It's meant the dwelling power of God. And you remember God said, this is an MC Hammer moment, Moses, you gotta get them to stand back. They can't get close to this. 
Because if I come down in my glory, even in a theophany, even in a cloud, it will kill people. That's how powerful it is. That's a theophany, a physical manifestation of God himself. There's a principle in, in theology called the principle of first mention. That means if you see something in scripture that's repeated later in biblical narrative, pay attention to that first time. It's a big deal. There's um, a caveat in blood covenant where if, if someone is marrying into royalty, let's just say um, Pastor Honey's daddy was a king. Um, Pastor Robert, you're from Nigeria. Pastor Honey, you're, are you from Nigeria? No. no. I love it. it seems like everybody in Nigeria is royalty, related to royalty. So I was gonna say your daddy probably was a king or a prince. If, if, if Pastor Honey's dad was literally a king and James was a prince and I was marrying James, when our daddies came together, only my daddy would have to walk through the blood covenant. My dad, Mr. Harper, was a contractor. He was blue collar. And Honey's daddy wouldn't have had to walk through as a king because he's already proven that he can put up collateral. And so you've got to understand that wrinkle to understand the significance of our story. Genesis 15, the commoner, the commoner of all commoners, Abram, he doesn't walk through, y'all. It's God himself. It's a theophany that passes between the pieces. What is God saying by that? God is saying, when the covenant, the relationship between me and you is broken, because Lisa, you're a poser and you weren't honest in the morning service because your heart was broken and you just covered it up and tried to pretend like you had it all together. You didn't trust me, Lisa. When the relationship between you and I, when it's dinged, when it's severed, when it's broken, I'll pay the price in blood. I'll pay the price. It's Jesus. Y'all, it's Jesus. Those of y'all who grew up in mainstream church culture like me, my mom was Baptist, dad was Assembly of God. Baptocostal means I wiggle when I worship, but I know all the hymns. And we used to sing, there's power in the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we'd sing it, but if you ask somebody who was singing that, what is the power in the blood? Most of us would say, I don't really remember. It goes back to the Jewish sacrificial system. No, it goes much further back than that. It goes back to the very beginning of our story. God knows us. He knows that there are times that we'll be scared and we'll turn away from him. There's times when we can't see around the corner and we go, maybe, maybe I just was emotional at church. Maybe that wasn't really Holy Spirit. He knows we will struggle. He knows we're human. And he said, when you struggle, even when you turn away from me, I've got you. I've got you you from the very beginning it was Jesus from the very beginning God knew he'd be sending his son it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction he always knew who we were he always knew where we were weak he always knew where we were players and he said they're worth it to me they are worth it to me he's not Pablo he's dad he's creator redeemer 
the great I am, the holy transcendent God who breathed everything we can see and everything we can into existence. And that holy creator redeemer condescended and put on skin and said, I'll stretch out my arms and I'll pay the price I promised thousands of years ago because they're worth it to me. Because they're worth it to me. And I would rather die than be separated from them. I love my people. I've got a quote from one of my favorite scholars. I love all the dead guys. This guy's actually still alive. Uh, Or I think he might've died recently, A.W. Tozier. And he says this, he says, for millions of Christians, God is no more than real than he is to non-Christians. They go through life trying to love an ideal and trying to be loyal to a mere principle. That's all the people who sing the worship songs and, and raise their hands and still call him Pablo. I don't really know him because they haven't spent enough time with him. They haven't said on days like today, I'm so sorry, I was an idiot. I know you, I know you're faithful. You've never been anything but faithful to me. Y'all, I'm 58 years old. I've been walking with Jesus since I was five. I can look back over my life and tell you, I've never, never one time experienced God's absence. Not one time, not one time. He has been good to me. He has redeemed me. He has pulled me out of pits that I dug myself. He is a perfectly good God. He's for us, but I still forget. I'm still a moron. I'm Cinderella with amnesia. I forget the love story I've been written into. And that's why we struggle. And that's why some days it's all you can do to put one foot in front of the other. If you want intimacy with Jesus and you've been experiencing absence of that, I wanna ask you to come forward. We're gonna finish with an honest family meeting. Um, I wish... I wish Robert and Taylor were here because I wish I was sitting there receiving from them. I love them. God brought a guest in, a long-winded, old, foolish guest, a woman who makes mistakes constantly to remind you that you don't have to have it all together. It's never been about our behavior. It's always been about his compassion. He has had you on his mind since the very beginning of time, before time as we know it. He's never not loved you. It's us who turn. It's us who create distance between us and God. There are consequences to sin, but the consequence is not God leaving us in his discipline. It's braided with mercy, y'all. If you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, if you feel like you need a fresh experience with Jesus. You need a fresh word from God. If you're just so stinking tired, you don't even wanna face Monday yet. You need more of Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to come forward. I want everybody to stand up so it's easy for people to come forward. You wanna re-engage with God. Maybe you've been wandering. Some of y'all have lied to yourself. And you've told yourself, as soon as I clean myself up, 
as soon as I quit stepping out on my wife, as soon as I quit smoking, as soon as I quit drinking, as soon as I quit cheating, I'll get right with God. Actually, I'm gonna put on my calendar six months from now to, to call Pastor Robert, because I, I, I'm gonna tell him in six months that, that I wasn't playing. I'm, I'm gonna clean myself up, and then I'm gonna get back right with God. Y'all don't have enough detergent. You don't. We can't clean ourselves up. It's impossible. That's why he said, Abram, sit down, because your promise will not carry water. Mine will. So I will walk through the blood because I love you so much. I will redeem you. I will restore you. I love you. I don't see you as broken. I don't see you as dirtied. I don't see you as a mistake. You're my son. And I'm so proud of you. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're worth protecting. I've called you to lead. I've set a mantle of authority on your shoulders. He loves us beyond what we can imagine. One of my favorite modern scholars, Craig Keener, says it this way. He says, if you get out of the Bible what you're expecting to get out of the Bible, you need to change your expectations. It's always bigger. It's always better. God is always more loving than our finite human minds can comprehend. If you want a real relationship with God, y'all, I'm not that smart, but I'm old, which means I've got a little bit of wisdom. Some of y'all are still playing. It's not worth it. Please hear me. It is not worth it. If you're playing with God, you are not gonna be fulfilled by anything else. You're gonna be just as lonely tomorrow. You're gonna be just as miserable tomorrow. You're gonna have to drink wine again tonight because you can't go to sleep on your own because of everything that runs through your mind. You're gonna continue to relive the abuse. You can't shut the door by yourself. You need the compassion of Jesus. He's our hope. He's our joy. There's freedom there. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.